You're listening to The Dr. Chris Show. Are you tired of the short-term patch to your health problems? Is avoiding medications and surgeries important to you? If you answered yes, then your prayers have been answered. Dr. Chris has been helping people transform their health for over a decade. He's a world-renowned health expert who specializes in holistic health. He's a professional speaker, chiropractor, and international best-selling author. It's his mission to help you reach your full God-given potential through holistic health and healing. Get ready to be inspired and transformed. Here's your host, Dr. Chris. All right, everyone. So welcome to another show where disease takes a dive and people come to thrive. And today we have Michael Collins. He has been helping people overcome sugar addiction for years now. Something he doesn't take lightly because he's even struggled with addiction disorders himself. And he's really just taken it to a new level. You know, he has the sugaraddiction.com where he helps people actually get off of sugar. I mean, it can be like a drug if you've ever dealt with that yourself. And he's even written a a best-selling book, which hundreds of thousands of people have read and really gotten a lot of just nuggets there that have helped them release and free themselves from sugar addiction too. So Mike, great to have you on today. Thanks for having me, Chris. I I really appreciate it. It's uh, always an honor to be on someone's podcast. Absolutely. So we want to talk a little bit today, really dive into your story because your story comes from really your own experience in, in struggling with addiction. So can you share with everyone what your, what your addiction was there and what you struggled with and that, that story of where you came to today? Yeah, it's kind of got two parts really. Um, and, and I think a lot of people can relate. I, I grew up as a regular kid, I think, you know, I mean, we had sugar everywhere. My mom was a sugar junkie and we, you know, had literally unfettered access to the sugar bowl. We could have as much as we want on our Cheerios or our cornflakes, right? And we were always digging out a half an inch of sugar with the milk at the bottom. And uh, so I just like, I just thought it was normal. And I think everyone thinks it's normal. But what I didn't realize is that it was changing my state. It was acting on my nucleus accumbens. It was, uh, you know, giving me blasts of dopamine to start the day every day and then crashing in the middle of the school day. It was really uh, um, something that everyone dealt with, no one thought about. And I don't think the science was really there. There was kind of some science, but not really. Anyway, fast forward, I, you know, I ran into beer at uh, um, 14 or 15, and I knew that that changed my state. And this change my state thing is really important. There's a great video on YouTube, Eric Clapton talking to Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes, and uh, Ed says, so Eric, this addiction thing, it started with heroin, right? And Eric Clapton, the famous guitar player says, no, Ed, it started with sugar. And Ed quizzically, you know, it's like sugar. He said, yeah, when I was five or six, I was eating bread and butter and sugar sandwiches when I was just to change my state, anything I could do to change my state. And so put a pin in that kind of, it's really the core of our work that a lot of people don't understand and takes about a podcast arc Uh, of a show to kind of explain it all. And so, like I said, I ran into beer at 14 or 15. I knew that changed my state. I was kind of shy and I could talk to girls uh, when I was drinking some beer. So we would drink behind the high school and then go in and, you know, be able to go to the dance and whatever. Anyway, that's a completely another podcast, but fast forward till the time I'm 28 years old and I got sober from drugs and alcohol, right? And over that time period, I learned a lot about addiction. Um, in the last 30 years, I've learned a lot about addiction and you know, help people, hundreds of people get off of drugs and alcohol as well. And so I, you know, one of the things that happened to me and happens to a lot of people now that we know it 
is I went right back to the sugar after I got sober. Sugar, caffeine, nicotine, um, it was really just a smorgasbord. And I, you know, I'm kind of a thin athletic guy and I gained some weight. My face was all uh, broken out, you know, had rosacea and stuff. And so, I, I mean, I, I, I was literally treating it like a drug because I wasn't really eating any good food. And so anyway, about I raised to ended up, I had a regular business career. I didn't really do much with it. I raised a couple kids sugar-free from the womb until they were six years old. Just I just talked my wife at the time into doing it and it just worked out. And this, the story is just an amazing success story. But the kids always said I should write a book about sugar. Because <laughs> like, they grew up with a, it was kind of tough growing up with me because, you know, there was no sugar around the house. They only had it at outside birthdays, parties, but, you know, after they were six, they had none before they were six. And so what anyway, it was, was the first sugar they had. I remember it like it was yesterday. They, we were at a roller skating rink and uh, like they were twins. So uh, the, again, the birthday, the cake and ice cream came out and both of them turned up and they look at me and they're like, they didn't even have to say it. They, they, I knew what they were asking, dad, can we have it this time? Yeah. And we just gave in. We couldn't, we had been fighting the parents in the Montessori school and the regular school and the grandparents, everybody thought we were depriving them of some gift of childhood, which I thought was ridiculous. And their, yeah. their life experience has proven that out. So anyway, about 10 That's years awesome. ago, I grabbed the name sugar addiction and it wasn't until about five years ago when I started, the real science exploded in this. And I started doing groups online and coaching. And that's when it really took off because people really need the extra support. Information just doesn't cut it in this addiction. It really is a kind of a group uh, requirement that you get some support because you're going to be an odd man out for a little bit longer in this, in this society. Absolutely. You know, and, and anything in life, really, information is great. You know, all the information in the world, but without action. And sometimes that support, especially when it comes to addiction, it falls on deaf ears. And so when right. you started helping people battle and, and overcome their addictions, did you start with the drugs and alcohol or did you start with the sugar? How did that evolve? Interesting, because I really, um, I, I had over the years as a layman in the 12-step kind of programs, uh, sponsored a lot of people, helped a lot of people. And a lot of my friends did work at treatment centers, but I never did it professionally. I actually started, uh, I did take a lot from that. And I kind of became what I call a recovery anthropologist. I'm fascinated by the movement and the, and you know all that, but at the end of the day, really, I really started helping mostly with the sugar. And what I found is when I started to go public with my substance use disorder, I was kind of an anonymous guy. I didn't, like I said, I had a regular business career. I didn't, I wasn't talking about it. You know, the, the 12 step stuff is like anonymous. So I, I, I followed that edict. But when I went public, I had hundreds of people come into the sugar group who had quit alcohol and drugs, but could not quit the sugar. These are savvy addiction people. They knew about addiction. They'd beaten alcohol and drugs, but they were getting diabetes diagnosis and they were way overweight and they couldn't put the sugar down. So it was an interesting, it's an interesting question and it's an interesting phenomena that has developed in the last five years. Well, it makes sense because, you know, my, my grandfather, he was actually addicted uh, to smoking nicotine, right? Sure. And so he, he had done packs 
a week for years and years until one day my, my sister who was at the time, maybe like two years, three years old said, grandpa, you stink and didn't want to be around him. And so he actually went to a hypnosis and like within one session, I believe maybe it was a couple sessions, but like within a very short period of time, stopped smoking, never touched a, a cigarette again. Wow. But that was replaced by food. Interesting. In way, yeah. Right. And so there's always we see that, that void. We see that so often, mm-hmm. you know, addiction, addiction disorder, addiction use disorder, whatever. We'll find another outlet if you don't get to the root of it. And this is really what we are doing is we are busting the diet culture because you can't be the biggest loser. You can't be, you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the research, but there's hundreds of studies that say, anybody that loses a substantial amount of weight, 90 plus percent gain it all back in the first year, simply because they never handled the root addiction to uh, sugar and flour. They, they just muscled it through, lost some weight, exercised, whatever. And then when a, a hard time in life comes up, a divorce, finances, career, what children, relationships, whatever, they go back to their go-to. And here's the thing, what happened in their childhood and what happens to people is like your mom was busy. She had other kids, she had a job, whatever. And what happened is when you were upset, she would give you a cookie and head you to the TV, right? And we use this and neural pathways grooved in our brain to say, when we're upset, when we're worried, when we're scared, when we're, you know, need a hug, we, you know, we would be given sugar and then we started to do it for ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and this is the, the main core of our work that most people in all diets don't understand that this is a true substance use disorder. I always talk about the proverbial person who's lost hundred or 200 pounds, right? When people originally come to me, they want to know what do I eat? What I can eat? What's my exercise plan? All of the things that model the $72 billion diet industry, that's $72 billion a year mm-hmm. diet industry that's been going on for decades, because this has been ingrained in their mind. They don't look at this thing that we're describing. Now, this is a very popular, un, very well-known construct in the drug and alcohol world that if you started using drugs and alcohol at 14 or 15, you stopped growing emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. And people never talk to that person who lost hundred or 200 pounds. If you talk to that person and they have been able to maintain for three or four or five years, the weight loss and the recovery from sugar and flour, those folks talk about their emotional recovery. They don't talk about their exercise. Of course, they're eating whole food. Of course, they're not using sugar and flour, but they are talking about how they grew to change how they manage their stress in life and their trauma and their their difficult times in life. Look, we take a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of cocaine, a little bit of heroin when when we have these issues, but we are pounding 21 teaspoons a day through our body. Our nucleus accumbens, and this science has exploded in the last five years, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, even our adrenals and oxytocin and, you know, all of these things are affected by sugar. And until we realize this, until we understand what it's doing to us and how we change it, we're going to be sentenced to relapsing over and over 
there's even a CDC study about the biggest loser where 90 plus percent of the all but two people gained all their weight back because of the isolation and the, the lack of understanding of what they actually went through. They didn't change their emotional management system. They didn't stop going to sugar. What they did is restrict for a short period of time. So it's, it's a little complex. That's what I say. It takes about the arc of a podcast to get through it all. Well, no, I mean, it makes perfect sense because at the end of the day, we have to change who we are mentally to change ourselves physically. Yeah. And when you're in an unrealistic environment, like the biggest loser, or you're putting all this pressure following this, this plan, maybe a box food plan or whatever, you're going yeah. through the steps and the motions yeah. and anyone, people can lose weight doing that. But at the end of the day, it's a journey. It's a journey yeah. about self-discovery too, along the way of change your lifestyle. And all these things are going to help you change and create new habits in your life, which are going to end up getting the results you want. And so you know, it's, when you talk about sugar and, and creation or uh, the, the addiction, can you kind of create or, or explain in like a layman's terms, how that sugar creates addiction in our lives, maybe even related to a certain drug? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, I think that the, what I've seen before is the explosion in the science in, in the last five years. Now there's been anecdotal stuff in the 12 step food group, some of them with, you know, the people that stop flour and sugar and, and understood from the addictive pattern, from the mother uh, uh, program of Alcoholics Anonymous that they had to grow emotionally. They, they in dusty church basements kind of figured out this formula a little bit, but really now we know scientifically why, why that, those anecdotal cures worked. And we add the science to it and the group community to it. And we leave out the spirituality. It's basically a religion. And I, and I don't, you know, probably get a lot of hate mail. I do all the time, but <laughs> I don't care, you know, and, and, and we leave that when we bring the science in. And what the science says, Chris, in the last five years is that the nucleus accumbens, the, the thing that regulates our emotions and our, um, you know, our, our literally our decision making where dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, all these things are, is so is so affected by sugar. I mean, literally the food industries have weaponized this this knowledge to slide people into MRIs and put on their tongue exactly what the food product is that they're testing. And they can literally see the brain light up just like alcohol, just like drugs. And so now that we know this, and now that we understand this, it's not common knowledge yet. That's why I do so many podcasts. It's not common knowledge. But once we now we understand this, we can realize that we need to groove new pathways and we need to find new ways to handle these stressors in life, right? Take a walk, get a hug, get a massage, go to yoga, whatever it is, you know, we need to change that behavior that was inbred, that our parents inbred in us that if you're worried, if you're scared, if you're nervous to have some sugar. And when you realize and that light bulb goes on, that this is the journey, like you said, this is what the work is, not restricting sugar, not exercising, but this is the work, then you can walk out of it. And it's not, I don't want to say it's not hard because it is hard uh, or it's, it, it's, 
it, let me put it to you this way. It's, what's that saying? It's not easy, but or it's not hard, but it's, I don't know, you know, it's, it's doable. Right. You know, it's not alcohol withdrawal. It's not heroin withdrawals, but there are some physical withdrawals, you know? Well, and so there's two different people in this category. There's the person who has been, they've gone through their childhood, they're into adulthood, they've struggled with a sugar addiction. They might not even know that they even have sugar addiction and that's really their problem. Yeah. And, and really, I, would, I, I want to be clear to say that the sugar addiction is not the problem because like you said, what's that underlying addiction issue, right? Mm-hmm. Really probably what's that more emotional cause. Yeah. But then the other person is the, the child right now mm. who's growing up and really hopefully the parents that are listening right now are thinking about that because it's really easy when your child is acting up, they're impatient, you're in a situation where you're trying to get them to quiet, calm down. You got to concentrate on whatever else you got to got have to do for the day to do double whammy to your child, which is one, put them in front of like an iPad or something or <laughs> some kind of a screen and then give them the food. I see it all the time where yeah. the kids got there, they've got their iPad, they've got their sugary treat right there. And it's just, feeding these pathways, like you said, that are creating these dependency pathways. And now when the child gets out on their own, like you talked about, and they have to cope with life, maybe even not on their own, maybe they just get into a teenage years. And now they have this dependency on what makes them feel comfortable. And they go back towards the snack or the screen. And we see it now in like our younger generations where half these kids don't even know how to communicate properly and have social interaction. And so I think that the effects are very um, long going. And so I think that's, that's huge. So what can parents, or not, I said this back up before we get to that, what are some signs of addiction for people? Whether they see it in their kids or whether they see it in themselves? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, you know, what we try and do, what we're trying to do, I was the chairman of the Food Addiction Institute last year and, and on the board now, and, and we're trying to get it named in the DSM-6, the upcoming uh, thing. And when you look at the modeling of true addictions and, and what the DSM-5 and, and before have said about it, you know, there's tolerance and there's, um, you know, continued use when you know that it's affecting on I mean, literally people that have diabetes diagnosis cannot quit. The doctor says, you are going to die this year. You're 100, 200 pounds overweight, losing limbs, going blind. And they still come to me and they can't quit. They can't put the sugar down. So those symptoms, are, you know, that's the extreme. But the, but the, the, the average person who, you know, like says, I'm going to quit for 30 days or I'm just going to quit for the week or whatever. And then they find themselves the next day back in the sugar. That should be a clue. And one of the things that kind of, it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine is this, this joking that I have a terrible sweet tooth, this joking that I'm addicted to bread or I'm addicted to sugar, you know, and, you know, you should listen to people like that because they truly are. And, and they, they should listen to themselves because they've, you know, that I always said to tell people to spend five minutes in my inbox five minutes on my instant messenger, you would know the pain that is out there that people are hiding and covering up because you can go 20 or 30 years you're only maybe going to gain 20 or 30 pounds you're going to look like a kind of a average dad bod or whatever mom bod it's not going to be a big deal but internally you're you've said to yourself every morning for decades that i gotta quit the sugar stuff i know it's causing me harm the doctor says so and they still can't quit so it's pretty, I always say this is interesting, <laughs> I say, and people have taken me up on this. I say, if they get to sugaraddiction.com, there's, there's a quiz there. I say, you, you do not, if you listen to a podcast like this, 
and you went there and you wanted to take the quiz, you don't need to take the quiz. Everyone seems to know whether or not they have a problem with it. So it's not like something they need to decipher. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can tell their own reaction to it. So I don't know if that makes sense. But. No, it's like you, we kind of, we know what our vices are in a sense. And uh, we don't yeah. have to be scientists to figure out that we're addicted to sugar, but there are some signs out there. There are some things. And so I encourage people to take that quiz and really understand. But like you said, you know, you're on there. Sometimes people see that extra validation by taking yeah, the yeah. quiz, getting yeah, the, yeah. the acknowledgement from a professional or whatever, um, yeah, to yeah, really sure. understand that. Right. And so they sometimes, well, I mean, maybe it's just that, like the intervention in a sense, right? Because people with addictions have interventions, right? And sometimes we're in denial of those. No, you're right. Do. Because I get so many people that are, denial is the right word, to be honest with you, that I have a testimonial from a woman. Uh, this woman had been a Weight Watchers leader in two different decades, started when she was 16 with her mother's plan. She was actually illegal. When we counted them up, she had tried 18 different diets and programs and books over the years. And she was approaching 50. And I got done with the testimony and I said, Bethany, why, why do you think that you know this thing clicked for you? What we do together clicked for you. She's a coach of ours now. And she said to me, Mike, I was above addiction. And so enter the stigmatization of the word, the idea, the construct where people just can't go there. Even remember the story about the people who had recovered from alcohol and drugs still couldn't equate the sugar with the powerful substance use disorder addiction. And until you talk to the person who's recovered, lost 100 to 200 pounds and, and kept it off, those people, they got it. And you don't have to have 100 extra pounds on you. You really don't to, to be addicted. As a matter of fact, you can be skinny. Lot, and be it can be absolutely, absolutely toffee, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. It accumulates around your organs. I mean, I've had Olympic athletes, ultra marathoners, and they weren't. They could do anything with their body, you know, exercise, whatever, but they, they hated the brain fog. They hated the bad skin. They hated the, all of the things, the other things that it brought with you, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a little complicated, but not that complicated. And it's not black and white. I try to, you know, leave a little gray area for people to um, live their own program. I say, let them, you know, walk out with, you know, we give them the basics and they still have to live in this society and it's hard. You know, yeah. I started with and understand deeply late stage food addicts, the ones that I described, but we're trying to expand this to a group we call harmful users, right? And about a third of people biochemically cannot ingest this product without um, having cravings uh, and, and, and losing, you know, losing control. And then about a third of people are what we call harmful users, and they have just adopted the societal norms. And, you know, they've gained a pound a year since high school, and now they're in their 50s and they're 30, 40 pounds overweight. And they just can't put the sugar down. So it's it's a wide ranging group of people. And then the last group, we all hate because <laughs> they like they can just take it or leave it. They can you know doesn't bother them, no problems. So I like to try and help as many of that range as I can. Absolutely. Well, speaking of helping people, uh, obviously you wrote a book. Yeah. Talk about a little bit about what that book is about, and then also what are some of the steps that people can start to take. And there might be 12 steps in your, in your 
program, but like, what are some of the first couple steps that our listeners could start to take to, to start to move towards the right direction? Yeah, thanks. I mean, the book is really my story. We had it on Amazon. It was a bestseller in the healthy living for a while, but we brought it home to the website at Sugar Addiction and now we give it away for free. And uh, the main thing is you have to, you do have to go through a detox of sort. And it's really more of an education process, like the anti-diet, if you will. It's like, yes, you're going to, we're going to give you um, whole foods, whether you choose vegetarian or or in meat eater, it doesn't really matter what you're, as long as it doesn't have what we call powders, white powders, flour, sugars. And if you can separate, if you can separate the food that you eat from the whole, from the, and it's hard because 85, 80, 80% of, 85% of the food products on the shelf, the processed foods have sugar in it. If you can separate those out mentally and understand that if you can eat on the outside of the grocery store, and meats and seafoods and vegetables and fruit and whatever, then you can, uh, you can get through this thing. And then we ask them to journal their feelings out. And this is kind of, kind of sounds woo woo and sound of soft sciency, but one, and really more of it, it's to understand how you were feeling when you slipped or re-ingested, right? I always tell the story of a guy who came to me, he had lost a hundred pounds on the keto diet, right? And but he still had 60 more to lose. And he, he really couldn't, he couldn't figure out why he was drawn. His, his drug of choice was peanut M&Ms, right? And so he tried to quit the peanut M&Ms all the time. But when we got drilled in and when he wrote it all out, every time that he would slip, it came to find out he was in a relationship with a woman for 12 years. And at the time in his life, he was going through, both his parents had died and he was responsible for the estate and, and an uncle, same thing. So it was three people in like an 18 month period had this relationship with the woman for 12 years. And when we finally figured out that it was that time and when, when the upsets in the relationship happened that he would go and use, you know, now the woman's gone and so is the 60 pounds and so are the peanut M&Ms. And it was taking, uncoupling the, the, uh, the, 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 the feelings around when you used as opposed to this, you know, blanket restriction. So it was, you know, it's interesting. And these are the same kinds of stories I get all the time that they understand why you're doing it, get back to the root cause, get back to the feelings that, um, you're managing your emotions with sugar and then you can start to heal. So first step is starting to help uncover where that emotional trigger is. Yeah, is that right. really it? Well, you gotta get, you get, this has to happen post abstinence, Chris. It, it, there's no, you gotta, I don't want to say muscle because that's not how it works. You, you really do have to draw a land, line in the sand. You've got to join another a tribe of people because you're not going to get any support at, I would say 60% of the women who join us do not have the support of their spouse or their family. Mm -hmm. And they have a little mm -hmm. bit of a credibility issue because they've tried some wacky diet uh, all their life and mm -hmm. never succeeded. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so when they bring up another diet that doesn't include these products, they get literally people are, they're laughing at them, you know, so we ask them to go stealth, get under our little umbrella and let's, you know, let's get this quietly, you know, let's get the sugar quietly behind you, get the, the, uh, 
abstinence, 30 solid, 60, 90 days of solid abstinence. Chris, we've never had anybody get to 90 days and go back. Uh, 100% true abstinence never be, I mean, they'll slip occasionally or whatever. They'll, an emotional thing will come up and they'll fall back, but they always come back because what happened in those 90 days of 100% abstinence was a clarity of mind. And this, this is what they call the biggest benefit now. They lose some weight, sure. Their skin looks better, sure. They sleep less, whatever. Rheumatoid arthritis almost disappears. Lots of things. We've had people get off meds. We've had a bunch of 100-pound weight losses. People go into you know, uh, remission of diabetes too all the time, daily, literally anymore. But the brain fog clearing, the processing ability coming back is the thing people get excited about. They get to start working on their goals again, start to become the person they always thought they could be. So it's a little bit something I didn't believe, I didn't understand when I first started this, that that was going to be the big benefit. So let's say someone is starting today, they, they're going to start that process, they're going to draw that line in the sand, they start to remove that sugar from their life. But then they start to get those cravings because mm. they come right. And, and usually what mm. I found, and I don't know what you found, but usually I feel like that first two weeks is usually probably the hardest. It is. And so what can people do? What are some, maybe some tips or tricks you have for your, for your people, your tribe to kind of help curb those cravings a little bit? Yeah. So the hard part is, you know, like a <laughs> methadone or a suboxone, I came up as an abstinence guy, but when the opioid crisis came along, I realized you got to be alive to be recovered. And the same thing here, we call it harm reduction, exactly like they call it in the drug and alcohol world. If you need a little bit of rice or a little white potato or a little low glycemic fruit, say a raspberries or blueberries or something to get you through, then you do. That's, you know, we're not judging in any way. Mm -hmm. And we have people that do all kinds of different things, but the main thing is you've got to, you've got to get your water up and you've got to get mineral water. You've, you know, these things behind me are not um, uh, vodka and gin. These are waters <laughs> from around the world and the, the magnesium, the potassium, the, you know, the silica, all of the great bioavailable minerals, you need to start with a liter of water every morning of good quality mineral water and glass. And you need to um, understand that the only exercise you need to walk out of this is walking. And you've got to get that practice down. And so you've got to do some substitutions um, from, you know, when you're going to reach for sugar, go walk the dog or whatever. Yeah. So there are certain little tricks that we have. Um, but the, for the most part, it's recognizing it and then, you know, calling one of us or calling your coach or whatever to get you to the next level, just so that, because what happens is, and I, I've been getting hard on this lately, is truly, and people say this, they got the whole face plum plant thing going on at 90 days. They can't believe they were actually thinking this way, that they would wake up in the morning, say, this is the last day. And by four o'clock, they're back in it. They, the physical cravings literally go away the further away you get right? Now the emotional game starts at 30, 60, or 90 days so that you can make it a lifestyle. But the physical, mental cravings for the stuff goes away. 
and your brain is coming back online every day. You in, you're in this harm reduction phase. And if you make it 10 days and slip, no problem. Come right back. Don't worry about it. People sometimes fade away because they're ashamed. No problem. I, I got a mentor and uh, a contemporary now who says, you're not even capable for six months of making these decisions. You've just got to you know, understand that you've got to get through that abstinence phase. Awesome. And so really for you in this realm of addiction and everything that comes a lot around that, how do you feel or what do you feel reaching your fullest potential really means to you? Yeah, I love that question. I really do. To me personally or to the people I help? Um, either. Yeah, I, I think that, and I say this a lot actually, and it, it sounds a little different, but one of the things that we have found in, you know, in examining the success stories, and I feel this about myself too, is people that succeed or people that, um, you know, change how they're doing it. They're not afraid to be a pioneer in whatever it is they're doing. It doesn't matter what they're trying to do. I don't know if it's sugar or become a lawyer or become an athlete. They're not afraid to step out of their family of origin, their group of origin, to join a new tribe, to change how they look at the world. And I think that's the, it's almost like an early adopter, kind of a pioneer attitude. And if you have that attitude, you're going to be successful. Even if you like weren't traditionally like that, if you would adopt that attitude, then you're going to be successful. Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you on today, Mike. It's been great picking your brain and helping understand that addiction complex that goes on in our minds and how we'd overcome that. Mike, what are some easy ways that people can get a hold of you or, you know, check out your, your 30 day challenge and, uh, and then get some more information. Yeah. Sugaraddiction.com. Uh, there's a big button that says 30 day challenge and 30 day challenge. I'll come into your inbox every day with a video and, and we have zoom meetings seven days a week and we've got 10,000 people in a forum that'll help. They're there to help you. So once you join the challenge, you're really kind of quickly indoctrinated into the tribe and you'll see hundreds and hundreds of probably poaching a thousand success stories now um, of people that have, you know, so it's, it's that, like I said, that association with people that have done what you want to do, if this is something you want to do. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you and uh, hopefully we'll see you around soon. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. To get this and other episodes and other free resources we mentioned today, go to newedgewellness.com or listen to the Happy Healthy Hormones with Dr. Chris podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. 